Purple elephant shower thought of the day. If a stranger insults me, I'll I'll probably ignore it, you know, because their opinion's pretty meaningless. But if a stranger compliments me, I'll probably treasure it because, you know, their opinion is so important to me. And I would say that's the mindset of the artist. This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. Okay, so today I am joined with another Mizzou teacher. This teacher is a multimedia artist, kind of specializing in film and video art. Um, she's been teaching at Mizzou for over two years and has been teaching in general uh, for seven years or a little bit over seven years now. And I'm here with no one other than Desiree Moore. <laughs> Thanks for coming on today. I'm really excited to get this going. Um, cause I was kind of looking at your work before, before this interview and cause I, I have also interviewed Michael Coleman and I think he specializes more in the, the screenwriting and kind of the classic narrative style and just looking at your portfolio, it's so broad and it kind of like crosses boundaries and mashes, uh, genres. And I really like that. Hey guys, I've really fallen in love with the medium of podcasting, and I finally feel comfortable to where I want to ask for your support. So in the description, and in all of the descriptions following this episode, I'm going to start putting a link for a spot for you to donate a small monthly amount of either a buck, five bucks, or ten bucks a month. Now this money is going to help the podcast grow. It's going to show me that this is worth my time. And because this is for creators by a creator, I would hope that you can see that I'm doing this so I can sustain the act of creating. So if you really like this podcast, if you want to support the show, go down in the description, click the link to chip in a small amount to support the show. Thanks. So I just want to start by asking your kind of art artist origin story. How did you get to making this stuff? And then we'll move on to how you got to teaching, but starting with just the art in general. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think it started way, way, way back um, when I was in uh, high school. I started taking a photography class and it was, um, you know, uh, analog photography. So we were shooting on film and we were processing in the dark room and we were printing our own images. Um, and I just, I got totally sucked into that. And I thought I was going to be a still photographer forever. Um, and I was pretty determined at that point. I was like, I'm, I'm gonna be an artist. That's what's happening at this, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for a desk job or a day job. Like this is what it's gonna be. And I sort of, um, I guess like uh, accepted that pretty on and accepted that it wouldn't necessarily be the most um, uh, probably stable career. And, and that was okay because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. So, um, 
Yeah, so then I went to, I got accepted to um, a pretty good art school in Chicago, the School of the Art Institute um, uh, for undergrad. I went there, learned a whole lot, um, but then went back to Heron School of Art in Indiana. Um, uh, also doing still photography, very experimental. I was uh, dealing with um, alternative processes in photography and then started to bridge into installation. Um, so really thinking about how my work is presented rather than just like a photo and a frame on a wall. Um, and then and then I started collaborating with a friend who was also in photography and we started making videos. Um, and that was a lot of fun. It was like performance art documented as video. Um, and it was like with handy cam like recorders. Um, so I look back at that video and it's so low quality. <laughs> it's really, it's kind of, uh, it's cute and it's sort of, um, and as it ages. Um, yeah, and then I just, uh, I went to grad school and uh, someone at grad school was like, you should, all the photos you're taking are in like chronological or se sequential order. Maybe you should just pick up a video camera. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, why not? <laughs> and then and then I never went back to still photography after that. I just love time-based uh, work. Um, and then I guess I made sort of a ruckus in Tampa when I was making my um, thesis film um, and people noticed me. And so I got hired on some film sets and then I started to sort of walk in those two worlds of uh, traditional filmmaking and, um, and video art. Yeah, because uh, based on what I was looking at, it seems like a lot of your videos are kind of like not classic narratives but you did have that experience after grad school is what you're saying yeah so uh well sort of in and after grad school i um i i started getting on film set so i learned about a lot about how production works um because i've used the camera for so long being a still photographer uh, I really sort of lean into cinematography. It's really important to um, to my work that that rigor of the visual image. Um, and uh, yeah, I learned a lot on on film sets. I learned a lot about what I don't want to do and and what I do want to do. Um, I really I get very sort of uh, disappointed in narratives that feel easy. Um, uh, I, I want to be engaged. I want. I want to feel like I'm interacting with the work. And if it's so simple, if the narrative is so simple that I can just be passive, then uh, I don't. I don't typically enjoy that. So I quickly found myself um, wanting to take over on film sets. <laughs> People don't like that, of course. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Uh, I just have sort of. Um, I have a pool of people that I work with and, you know, it's collaborative and mm. uh, that's sort of how we do, we do yeah. things now. So when you say you don't prefer like the easy narrative, do you kind of mean like predictable endings or like, you know, this is obviously the hero's journey. I know all the steps. I know how this is going to, this is going to be here. This is going to be there. Is that kind of what you mean by the easy narrative? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, 
if halfway through the film you already you already know what's going to happen to the character or to the plot um then that's that's just like disappointing for me and i don't know why i get so confused like i don't know why other people don't feel the same way like how is that fun like for the last hour you knew it was going to happen and it did yeah. you know well, so. the way i think about that because i i have had that thought but I think of it like when I was a little kid, I'm like, I want to invent something. And then you kind of come to this realization when you're a kid that everything good has been invented. I feel like that's the same thing with storytelling where you're like, I want to tell a, an original story. And it's like, oh, this is just like Romeo and Juliet, but you switch these elements. Or this is like, you know, Star Wars, but you switch these elements. And I do think that um, you're right where you come to this conclusion where – all these easy stories have been told and it's like you're gonna have to break out of the the genre of the the hero's journey the classic structure before you can tell something original so i'm just curious and we'll get to the the teacher stuff but when it comes to um like teacher versus artist now what do you identify first as are you a teacher first and then an artist or um artist and now um, teachers kind of the secondary thing or has that shifted over time? Well, to be honest, it's kind of a complicated question um, because my, um, uh, my, my position at Mizzou is as a teaching professor. And what that means is that um, in sort of the um, academic eyes, yes, teaching is first. I take teaching very seriously. Um, I tend to feel um, responsible for my students. So I, I want them to be skilled and I want them to be creative and I want them to be successful. And so I feel very um, responsible in that way. And I think that pulls me away from my art more than I would like it to. Um, but I think if I go out and introduce myself to someone, I'm going to talk about myself as an artist first and yeah. then say, oh yeah, and <laughs> I do this. <laughs> yeah. It's my day job. <laughs> right. And then, so let's, let's talk about the teacher origin story. How did you get to teaching at, I think you said Tampa or, uh, and then you yeah, got my, to Mizzou. My first, my first teaching position was, um, actually, uh, you know, I've been teaching for a long time in other ways. Uh, when I was a student, I, I taught elementary students. Uh, when I was in um, uh, undergrad, I was also like a, um, a writing fellow. I would help people with their papers and whatnot. Um, but really teaching on my own after grad school um, the first time was at University of Tampa. And the way that happened was, um, so I mentioned earlier that during my, when I was making my thesis film, I, I created sort of a ruckus uh, in Tampa. And um, I, I don't really know why, but I did. And then uh, essentially someone was like, who is this person? Uh, how is she doing this? How is she making this on her own? And then uh, they were like, do you want a job? And I was like, cool, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> So um, it kind of happened like that. Uh, and then uh, it just felt like a, 
a natural sort of path to take after that. Um, it was, you know, it's stable. Um, it provides me a lot of access and opportunities to other things uh, as an as a sort of academic maker. Um, you know, I'm not making commercial work, right? And and I, I don't want to. Um, uh, so so I have to find another route to make and to prosper, essentially. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and that makes sense that, yeah, because I can see how it's, if you're going to have to make money where, um, like, the classic art isn't going to get you that, then it's either kind of do the commercial stuff or teaching. And I feel like teaching can be much more rewarding because you can still instill those very creative processes whereas commercial you're kind of doing the normal structure which seems like something that you don't really like to do well you have a lot of people telling you what to do right and so when it comes to the camera and to creating a visual narrative I don't want someone to tell me what to do right like I want I want to follow my own vision. And so, yeah, I've tried, I tried the commercial thing or, you know, um, while I was an undergrad and, and weddings and stuff, and it just didn't work for me. I, I couldn't step away from, I, I essentially couldn't give people what they wanted because mm -hmm. <laughs> I wanted to do what I wanted to do. So, yeah. And now let's, let's dive in a little bit into the actual digital storytelling stuff, because now that's, I mean, that's, what the majority of what you're teaching now is, um, and obviously you're doing some film production classes, but w how would you describe digital storytelling, specific like the Mizzou digital storytelling program to someone who asks about it? Um, well, I think there are probably a lot of ways to, to describe it. And I think probably everyone in the department might say something different, but I think for me, what, what I would sort of champion when I'm talking to prospective students uh, or, or yeah, yeah, students who, who maybe want to come to the program is that um, what digital storytelling offers is freedom. So it allows you um, to sort of make within uh, all of these different modes of making without necessarily following the formula of that. So um, you can work with audio, but you don't need to, you know, make a podcast or you can work in film, but you don't need to make a nonfiction short, um, you know, so, so you have this opportunity to really um, branch out and experiment. And I think that, um, you know, with where we are now in the digital age and, you know, everyone has a phone and we're on our computers 24 seven, I think that, we are going to have to find new ways of interacting with people uh, via the screen or via digital media. And um, I think digital storytelling will help us get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely agree with that, that the element of that sense of freedom and not having to make a narrative film if you want to do a photo project and you can kind of take all these different um, things and test them out and kind of play with combining uh, elements from each one. Yeah, and maybe to our to our earlier um, statement about uh, taking something that's familiar and making it new. Maybe that's what digital storytelling offers because if you start 
you know, taking these narratives that are um, sort of ubiquitous, we've we've come to understand uh, a lot of these plots. Um, but if you start working with it in a different way, so let's say a video game or let's say an interactive website or whatever, then it becomes something totally new, right? Just because just because of the shape you've put it in, mm-hmm. which which could be interesting. Yeah, and so just on that same note, how do you structure your projects in the digital storytelling program? Because obviously I, I had a class with you and you did do a, an audio project, a photo project, and a video project. Is that what you try to keep consistent um, in all your courses of giving people a taste for everything? I think the longer that I'm here, I uh, start start to do things a little differently. So um, definitely in the foundations course, uh, not, it's not called foundations course, but the intro course, uh, 1880, we have a we have a lot to get through in that class. It's actually um, it's kind of amazing. We do all the stuff we do in there because we have to introduce um, audio, uh, the camera, still photography. Uh, so audio audition, the camera, video premiere, um, and we have to get through. And then we have to introduce story. <laughs> so it's like all of this stuff uh, in in a, in that semester. Um, so I, I try to structure it in a way that I think makes sense, uh, which is, yeah, here, we're going to learn how to work this, um, audio recorder and let's talk about how audio works and then let's work with it in post and let's try to tell a story. Um, and then as we sort of progress in the different modes of making, um, uh, I'll actually put more pressure on the story part of it, um, because when it comes down to it, the thing about uh, making work in digital media is that the equipment is going to continue to change and evolve. So you are going to have to learn that forever. But the thing that doesn't really change is uh, storytelling. There's a foundation. There is, um, um, you know, a set structure that we know works. And then from there, we can get creative and experiment with it. Um, that really is what's most important, I think, um, because that is much more difficult to learn and you need feedback. You need uh, a cohort to respond to your storytelling and help you understand how audiences are um, either connecting with it or not connecting with it. Um, yeah, so I think as I uh, move up in the, in the courses, I think a lot about like what the student needs. Um, I think once we get beyond an intermediate course where we're still learning, uh, it becomes, uh, especially in digital storytelling, because it can be so varied. It's like this student has shown interest, passion, and talent in this type of making. So I don't want to create an assignment that forces them necessarily to step away from that. Um, because they have found their style or they've found their passion, right? So um, creating assignments that are a bit open-ended so that each student can sort of run with it and say, it's challenging me in this way, but I can still create a portfolio that will be meaningful to me when I get out of school, Mm -hmm. which is the goal. Yeah, and I think for those types of students where they've kind of found 
what they really love to do and they it may not even just be audio it may be even more hyper focused than that and i think that's that's the ideal situation where they find what they love and how they're different from everyone else but let's say you're teaching someone who maybe hasn't found something that's stuck and they're kind of getting higher and higher in these courses what what's kind of the process for that i mean cuz it seems to be a student is going to have to come to their own realization and make their own decisions. They can't be pushed forever. How do you kind of guide them rather than keep giving them more and more options when they're not picking something that they can stick with? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty easy to tell if a student is in that position. Um, and, and that's something where um, sort of individualizing assignments actually can help. Because, you know, and a student that is a bit more mature or advanced or whatever, they can do their thing. And then um, I would probably have a private conversation with the, the student who seems to have no maybe direction um, and, and uh, sort of point that assignment somewhere. Uh, one thing I like to do is to tell them things they uh, can't do. So. Um, instead of saying, oh, you must do this, instead approaching it like, okay, uh, for example, this uh, I have a student who is um, super talented when it comes to making um, the visual image, but the audio is not great. Uh, and, and actually they're not even trying. Um, and so, uh, but they're making films. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, You've got half of it, but the, that, that audio is just gonna bring you down. Like no one's gonna be able to get past that. Um, and so at that point it would be to say something like, okay, for your next project, you can't use the camera. And so it forces them to, um, I don't know, dedicate time and energy and, and not get by on that thing that is working. You know, uh, I think that's, uh, that can be a problem for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good point of because, it, I mean, even if someone is focused on only one uh, medium, there's probably going to be elements from others that they're just going to have to learn. Because, um, yeah, I, I noticed that where someone's very good at cinematography, but like you said, they don't care about the audio. Um, so I'm curious in the keeping on the classes when it comes to collaborating and making something as a group. Again, is it in that same situation, are you kind of letting people pick where they want to go, making sure they're the right fit for the, the role on the project? Let's say someone's doing audio, some person's doing uh, camera work, you know, what's the, or directing. Mm -hmm. How much are you it, guiding for that? It sort of depends on uh, where we are in sort of this, the, the production courses. So if we're doing something collaborative and more of like an intro level course, um, I'm happy with them just choosing the thing they think they want to do uh, because they're still learning at that point. When it comes to an advanced course, um, I think about if, if the people in the group actually complement one another. So I'm less interested in like who's doing what, but um, does it make sense that these two people um, with their talents, when they collaborate, comes together to make something better? Because that should be the goal. 
if we have two people who have the same set of skills coming together, that doesn't really work. Um, so it's more about the relationship of the group. Um, but I, I guess I, I should say, like, I think, um, I mean, I don't know actually, but I think that um, my, I think that my students know that I'm, I can be pretty blunt and direct when it comes to uh, feedback and whatever. Um, I really think it's important to be uh, quite honest about about what we're seeing and um, and what that means because ultimately you're going to get out in the world and you know you've been through however many years of college and no one has told you what's up you know <laughs> like that's a problem mm -hmm. so um, yeah so so that is important to me making sure that they've yeah. been yeah and I think one of the rare opportunities in um, college and something like the digital storytelling major, any kind of art major in general is the, the feedback element, because like you said before, with the technology always changing, obviously anyone could watch a YouTube, uh, course, figure out how to use their, their camera, their new audio equipment, but it really is okay. Am I using it to tell a good story? And I don't think I know I'm not objective enough and I don't think anyone can be completely objective about their own work. They need someone else to look at it when it comes to that element of, um, having people give feedback to other students, just in my own personal experience, I've had classes where no one comments on my work and it's so, um, it, partially annoying, but also just like, come on, like, do you ever run into that where just students aren't talking, aren't giving feedback? And how would you, time. how do you deal with that? It's tough because um, it providing feedback makes you very vulnerable. And, and I get that. Um, and, and a lot of times when you're um, dealing with students who are still learning the craft themselves, they feel like they can't, or, or like they don't have the, the knowledge or authority to tell someone else what's going on. I think it becomes important that um, to, to help students and, and other viewers to understand that as an audience member, everything is subjective. So your experience can be one thing and my experience can be total, something totally different and both are valid. All we're trying to do is give all that information to the maker so that they can figure out what works for their work or not. Um, yeah, because, you know, for example, I might say something like, you know, that narrative to me was really flat or whatever because of what I tend to, to prefer. Someone else may have felt that that was a, a truly exciting experience, right? And what we have to figure out is like, okay, what made it exciting for that viewer and what made it flat for me and those are the things that the um, creator should walk away with. I yeah. think, sorry, yeah, I, I was just gonna say that um, one thing that, I've, that I do is I change the way that critique happens. So um, I'll have written critiques. So instead of talking out loud, people have to write their comments down, that helps a lot. And that actually can be a good one for, um, some of the the first time you do critique so students sort of get used to responding um 
I've also done like a blind critique before where um, the maker actually steps out of the room and then we have everyone else comment and then they have a note taker who takes down notes and everything's sort of anonymous that way. And people don't feel bad about saying something about the work in front of the maker, which can be um, a, a problem sometimes. Also one-on-one -on -one critiques tend to work really well where you just pair another student up. So then they feel like have more of a dialogue and conversation and less like they're standing up there just being hit with comments. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm curious because yeah, those are all great ideas for getting like real feedback. When it, When people get out of college, how can they find those same, or like how would you find um, real feedback today if you uh, were releasing a project? Yeah, that's a challenge. I'm actually um, going through that right now. Um, the thing you have to do is uh, generally in college or um, if you're in some or sort of organization, you're gonna build a relationship with a group of people who are also working in your field and you just um, hopefully gravitate toward people that you can trust. Um, it's maintaining relationships, I think, uh, beyond college, it's really important. Um, and people who are working uh, continue to work in the field because you know, um, after college, a lot of people sort of splinter off. So um, that, and then for me, I've done um, artist residencies. So uh, it's generally a, uh, an organization has an artist residency where they bring in, you know, anywhere from two to 10 people, artists from all over the country or the world, they come together and work together for like three weeks. And you just maintain those relationships afterwards so that you always have a sounding board and not being shy about reaching out, you know, um, you have to make it happen for yourself. And, and you have to let people know that you're looking for honest feedback, that what I need right now is this. Um, that's, a, that's a great way to, to help someone you're asking to critique your work, which can be sort of daunting and scary. You don't hurt someone's feelings, right? Um, yeah, so, so that could be one way. Yeah, I know for myself, um like it was a threshold where the first script I wrote that I sent to a friend that like didn't have anything to do with um, a class. I was like nervous to send it because I feel like with a class, it's like, okay, this is for something. I'm not just doing it for myself. And I don't, I, it definitely seemed more vulnerable because I think I have fallen on this excuse in the past and I'm sure others have too, where it's, Oh, I'm just making this for class, so it kind of takes away some of the uh, the vulnerability of making it because you want to make it, and that was something that I had to overcome. Do you notice in your students this kind of they're only going to make something if it's assigned to them, or do you or, or like is there kind of like a subset of students that um, are able to break out of that? and just start making things for fun that may have been inspired through class? Like, do you notice the, those types of students? And is there any way to get more of those? Uh, I wish. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, I want to, like, add something before I make a, a comment to this. And that is that 
really after sort of your um, intro class, every assignment should be thought about as um, a portfolio piece. Like it should be thought of as something that's gonna end up in your demo reel. Um, I wish that more uh, students thought about assignments that way because I think they would be happier in the end. Um, but unfortunately, that, that's not typically how it works. I find that there are typically two categories of students. There are the ones who uh, approach school like, um, you know, I have, uh, it's an obligation, I have to do this. I have to do all these assignments. But when I'm done with school, I'll be a filmmaker. Um, and, you know, in, in some ways, you're really just wasting time because you can be a filmmaker while in school. And actually, when you're in school and you don't have to like depend on a job as much, then that should be the time that you're really uh, capitalizing on that. Then there's another um, group of students and those are the ones that um, are more dedicated to either the practice, so just uh, working in or with a camera uh, or working on productions, or they are very committed to like whatever theme it is that they're interested in working with, um, like social justice or whatever. Um, and those students tend to um, tend to work with their or work with me more. And I'll have a student come to me and say, hey, this assignment, um, I'm wondering if I can do this thing that might be a little bit tangential, like not exactly what's been assigned, but similar. And of course, I'm happy to like if you are going to be dedicated to working on this project because we change one little thing. Oh, yeah, that, that's what I prefer. You know, I want you to like what you're doing. Um, you know, it's a class, so there has to be some structure, <laughs> but but it, that's not that important to us, you know, or, or to me, I should say. Yeah, and I think um, this kind of goes back to a question I asked early on when I asked if you were an artist or a teacher. I, I think that there's a similar, like, mindset with um, students of – am I this thing? Am I already the filmmaker? Am I already the artist? Or am I still the student studying those things? And it's like, does getting a, a piece of paper and graduating make that shift? Or is it sometime before or sometime after? And I don't, I, I don't think the answer is the same for everyone. I already feel like I'm a filmmaker, but um, someone like, you know, a, another person may think, okay, yeah, I'm practicing filmmaking but I don't become a filmmaker until I have my first, whatever that threshold is for that person, whether it's beyond my first feature film, getting paid for making films, whatever that may be. And I think that's, in my opinion, I think that's the wrong way of looking at it, of saying, I have to get this thing before I become this thing, instead of I'm already this thing, I'm already the filmmaker. Now I can start doing these things of, making stuff for myself or being on sets or getting paid in a way. Do you have any input on that of making the shift to feel like an artist, feel like a filmmaker before you graduate while you're still a student? 
Well, I think that it's, I think that if you want to be an independent filmmaker, or actually if you want to be in any sort of creative discipline, that extends beyond the school day, no matter what. It should, certainly. Um, The the truth about uh, creative disciplines is that you have to do the thing so many times before you're able to actually communicate what it is you want to communicate through that um, that form. So I think that the wrong way to approach it is to say, I'm, I'm only working in class on these things. Now, if, if a student uses um, their however many years in college, and they really dedicate that time to experimenting and learning and being a student, I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. I think that if um, if they get out and they have such a nuanced understanding, let's just say cinema, of cinematography, um, they might not have uh, a reel, but they might be able to communicate well enough with someone who is in professional standing that they feel like that they can be trusted. You know, a lot of it has to do with being able to um, convince someone that you're capable of something. And some people will convince them by showing them uh, work that they've they've done before, which, you know, may or may not work out. Um, and other people, it's through that dialogue, it's through that conversation. It's saying, I understand your vision and this is how I would accomplish it. And, um, you know, I think that, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, everyone's path is different. Um, I think what you do with your time is essential. So whether it is going out there and getting real world hands-on experience or whether it is really committing to understanding your craft, I think either one will work. But when it comes down to it, when you get out of school, it's going to be a lot of talking with people. It's going to be a lot of throwing yourself on the sword sort of thing of saying, no, I don't need to get paid for this. I just want to be on set, you know, or saying, yeah, I'll be a PA instead of, you know, first assistant camera, like those things will, will happen. Um, but it, I mean, I think it comes down to determination. It comes down to effort. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I just have one more question on this topic of students and teaching when it comes to the, the late stages of the class, like the capstone you've talked about, okay the mindset of having this for a portfolio, do you ever instill, um, well, just more so the idea of selling yourself rather than just making great work? Because like you just mentioned, uh, the networking element of being in an industry, whether that is classic narrative films or being in the, the art world, the video art world, or on the end of commercial work. Cause I think those are definitely three totally different elements, but they're all related to filmmaking. Do you ever, I I don't know, maybe you not, maybe you may, um, don't have like a a lesson plan for that, but how would you, what would your advice be for a student? So, uh, so I do have a lesson plan for it. Um, when I was teaching, uh, the advanced production class 4880, um, their final project in that course was to uh, make a demo reel 
uh, create a resume and to submit their work to something, whether it be a film festival or an application internship, something like that. And um, I'll never forget, there was this uh, student who came up to me after, it was somewhat after the class, came up to me and they said, um, I thought you hated me in class. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why? Uh, um, and he's like, uh, I was really, uh, I was really upset that I had to submit something that I had to pay like a $15 uh, fee or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry that, you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. And then he was like, my, my project got into, got into that film festival. And he's like, I would have never done that. I would have never done that. And I was just like, that's, that's why I'm here. Like that for me was like, uh, I don't care how the experience was. I don't necessarily care if you like me, like it's cool if we have a, a, a good relationship. I like that. I don't want to have a bad relationship, but ultimately that's, that's what we should be doing is we should be encouraging students to do the thing they wouldn't normally do. And it is very hard to submit your work to something and to say, I'm, I'm probably going to be rejected. Most of the time we get rejections. Um, but, but for that to happen, it was so, it was like, yeah, you know, like it, that is what success looks like. And therefore that student is going to feel more confident in the future when they're making things that, you know, people will get it, get his storytelling. Um, but yeah, but capstone, that's what capstone is all about, um, is, is thinking about how to, um, market yourself essentially, um, and, and to really look at um, everything you do as a networking opportunity, because, because that it is, you know, and to really feel comfortable with talking about yourself all of the time, no matter what you're doing. Are you at a wedding? You're at your friend's wedding? Talk about how you're a filmmaker, because someone in that room is going to need something, right? Um, yeah, I think it's really important uh, that we do that. And I think... Um, you know, capstone is certainly a good time to make that happen, but students should be thinking about it even before that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now I want to shift back to more of yourself and your, your art experience. I, I kind of want to hear about the barter boat. What, what was that all about? <laughs> if you want to explain it, where that idea came about. Okay. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I talked about uh, um, going to artist residencies, and this is a big part of uh, artists' practice. And so I was at this artist residency in South Carolina with uh, four other, no, three other women, and um, myself and two others, uh, Robin and Anna, we... Um, I don't know, Anna and I were doing something in Minnesota. That's where Robin lives. And so we were just like hanging out one night and there was a, uh, there was a festival, an art festival that was like interactive. And so the idea was you had some sort of art that, that the audience could interact with. And so we just stayed up one night and like thought of an idea. And <laughs> we came up with the barter boat and it was so much fun. It was, it was amazing. Uh, it's just, we made this cute little carnival stand and uh, we went through 
each of us went through like our boxes of like art materials or like found things. And then we recruited people to give us little knickknacks or whatever. Um, and so we had this like haul of just like odds and ends stuff. And then we packaged them in these cute little packages of like um, assemblages. So uh, they were like color coded or thematic or whatever. So we set ourselves up at like a carnival stand with, with our product. And when people would come up, we would ask them to trade us something. And um, you can imagine you're not prepared for that. So people are just like digging through their pockets or their backpack or their purse or whatever to find something to trade. And we ask them if, they, if there's a story behind it. And um, most of the time it would just be like, Oh, I, I just found this on the, it was just on the sidewalk. I just found this thing. And it's like, cool. Awesome. But other times there would be this, um, you know, really beautiful narrative associated with an object. And uh, we started recording them and then uh, they would essentially trade us their object for something that we had made from the initial objects that we gathered. But then it became a cycle. So when we were in um, Baltimore, everything that we got in Baltimore that we traded with people we then repackaged and we would trade that when we went to Arizona and we'd say, this came from a guy in Baltimore and he got this from his mom and you know, blah, blah, blah. So we would tr transition those stories from one location to another location through this object. And we would connect people who maybe would never, never meet each other or come together or even talk to each other because they're, they had such different lives. Right. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's a beautiful project, but COVID sort of shut it down, obviously. Um, yeah, and we went to about uh, maybe nine cities or 10 cities around the United States. A lot of fun. So that specific project only came about because there was an art festival already going on and you wanted to contribute to it? Yep, exactly. Yeah, and that's something that um, you could do in film too, like the college movie festival right like that that's the same sort of thing where a 24-hour film festival is like uh you're not necessarily thinking of something on your own right you have this prompt or you have this event that 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 makes you work toward an end um yeah and so it, it became a beautiful project that we would have never just done on our own yeah i really like that um of like kind of a de an external deadline can definitely motivate someone what about the cases where there isn't an external deadline and there's no um, external trigger of an idea where does and you can maybe pick one of your your favorite pieces that didn't have um a, a deadline or a trigger associated with it and talk about where that idea came from and how it came to be yeah i mean i think that when it comes to sort of being uh, independent a filmmaker or artist or whatever, um, there's always, you really need to make sure you have something pushing you forward. So like when it comes to artists, for example, there's a sort of um, unwritten rule that uh, each year you should get 10 lines on your resume. Okay, so if I get accepted to one thing per 10 applications, then that means over the course of the year, I'm sending in a hundred applications, right? So, 
So you have, you should have some sort of motivating drive, no matter what. Projects don't always work that way, though. Um, I had a project that uh, it's called Between, and it's a, a two-channel uh, video installation project, uh, and I'm very happy with it now. But at the time, it was. Uh, I mean, it took so long. Um, it had its incubation stage for like, I want to say six months. And then I finally was able to get a cast crew. Uh, I talked my way into getting a location for free. Um, I shot it. And then I was so disturbed by the shooting experience. Some crazy stuff happened on set that I didn't even look at the footage for four months. I didn't even look at it. And then <laughs> it took another year for me to finally start working with the footage and editing it and figuring out like, how does this exist in the world? Um, and so that project took, I think a total of two years to finish, um, but it needed that time. And I, and I knew enough that I, I was committed enough to the project that I wasn't just gonna drop it. I wasn't just going to say, well, this didn't really work out how I thought it would. So I'm going to move on. I just needed time to figure out how to develop that work. And so I gave myself that time. That's not always the case. Sometimes it, it's really just, I need to do this, this, and this, and then I complete the project, you know? Mm -hmm. So that that's more of an outlier example of really having it incubate for a long time. Um, or no, what's more common? Uh... No, it takes for, uh, so, okay, so I make uh, art work that is more art-based, right? And then I make more um, cinematic style film films. The cinematic style films always take a long time. Um, so from writing um, to shooting to production and then post-production which i usually i usually do all of those things myself so um that typically takes a long time because production is such a a beast to control it, it can be expensive it means getting a lot of people together um maybe from all over the country um it, it takes a lot of work and so i would rather spend a lot more time on sort of conceptualizing it to make sure this is really what i want to do so that i don't waste that like precious production time um those projects tend to take a lot longer and then in between i work on art projects so um that are sort of associated like thematically or something like that um that i can sort of do on my own where i don't really need a crew or an actor or whatever i can just sort of be a you know independent artist yeah and do you think that there's like an important i mean i i like that kind of balance do you think it's important for artists filmmakers anyone uh creatively to because i do think any project that's collaborating is just naturally going to take longer more heads coming together more ideas being shared do you think there's that important element of kind of having solo stuff because you can't i mean maybe you can but it's rare to be able to collaborate every single day work on the same project unless we're talking about like a huge feature film it's usually there's going to be downtime do you think it's important yeah. to have those solo activities solo art projects 
I do. And I think even if it's just, uh, I mean, even if you're not an artist, if, if you consider yourself just a filmmaker, I think it's important to have things that you can work on individually that you can sort of, you know, go out with your camera or uh, your, your audio recorder and you just sort of work through those problems uh, on your own. I think it also, uh, it, it makes sure that you stay inspired, right? Like if you just check out when you're not working on something that's collaborative, then I kind of wonder where does that next idea come from? Because I sort of, I need to be continuously making, I need to be continuously like experiencing things and like people watch and, you know, ask and, and tell stories. Like I, I have to have that all the time. Um, so for me, it is truly important. Other people, you know, it might be as simple as like writing in a notebook or something, you know, it could be something like that. But yeah, I think keeping the creative wheels like moving is probably good practice. Yeah. Okay. We're kind of getting near the end of the interview. So I'm going to end um, with a question I like to end all the podcasts on and you can interpret it however you want. Can creativity be taught? Why or why not? <laughs> um, creativity, I think, can be inspired so um, I think that through um, uh, through looking at, through reading about, through practicing, I think you can be inspired to be creative. Um, I think that one thing that we can't really teach, which is so important to creativity, is rigor, dedication, effort. That stuff I don't think can be taught. And I think it is an essential to creativity. So that would be my take on that. Mm -hmm. So more of the, the, the dedication and kind of the passion for it is not teachable, whereas inspiration and like imagination can be inspired through teachers and, you know, other sources. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there have been a couple of times where I've showed something in class and I've had a student come up to me afterward and say, I have never seen anything like that before. I didn't know that people could do that. And it, it set them on this path to create something totally new, something that they felt excited about. Um, and I, so I think that, uh, and I think that that's how it happened for me. You know, I, I watched a lot of movies. I looked at a lot of uh, photographs when I was little and I think I was inspired. So when I saw photography written on a, some schedule somewhere, I was like, well, of course that's what I'm going to do. Why not? You know? Um, yeah. But the drive, the drive is the part that I think is within you. And it's something that you have to figure out. No one can tell you to be driven or to work hard, right? You either do it or you don't. Yeah. Well, that's all I had for you. Those are great answers. This has been a great interview. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week.